Welcome to the PQI podcast. This week, we sit down with Julie Kennerly Shaw to discuss the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center's Oral Drug Repository Program. Julie is an Associate Director in the Department of Pharmacy and is responsible for hematology oncology, pain palliative, and ambulatory care clinical services in the James Cancer Hospital. All right. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for joining us on the PQI podcast today. To start out, will you please introduce yourself and tell us about your background and your current role? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. I am an Associate Director of Pharmacy at Ohio State Medical Center, specifically the James Cancer Hospital, where I have the pleasure of overseeing hematology, oncology, pharmaceutical services for all of our patients. Okay, awesome. A big, a big job, big, big shoes to fill for sure. And then will you give us an overview of your pharmacist journey? So why pharmacy and then a little about your path to where you are now? Absolutely. I found pharmacy in the small town of Cherryville, North Carolina, when my father told me it was time to get a job as a high school <laughs> student, and I was not excited about getting a job, um, but ironically, one of my friends in high school reached out and said, hey, the pharmacy that I work at is looking for some students to help out in the afternoons. It's a pretty fun job. Would you be interested? And I said, well, yes, actually I would. And so started working in an independent pharmacy and was under the, the advisement of the pharmacist that worked there, both the owner and some long-term pharmacists and really fell in love with the patient interactions. At that point in my life, I should say, I did not have a clear path to what I wanted to do when I finished high school and decided that pharmacy school is the right path for me and kind of never looked back from a pharmaceutical career oh. standpoint. So I will say that my, my path to what I thought I would do has certainly changed a lot over the years. I anticipated going to school uh, and then eventually acquiring my own independent pharmacy. So went to the University of North Carolina and went to pharmacy school there and decided that hospital pharmacy was actually really appealing and felt like that might be a better path for me. During my tenure at UNC, fell in love with the administrative side of health system pharmacy and the big impact that you can make on a more global scale and the excitement of starting new initiatives like an oral chemo repository program being a great example. And so came to Ohio State for their HISPAL combined PGY1, PGY2 residency and uh, opened our specialty retail pharmacy here, eventually found my niche in hematology oncology and love it. I love the patient population. I love the impact that we have as pharmacists, the regimens that we are able to implement the clinical trials. And so just really love you mock now. I love it. I love that pharmacy found you through, <laughs> through a friend in high school. So I started in at 16 at our local independent pharmacy as well and had 
not planned on doing that either, but here and here's where I ended up today. So I still love the independence. I think there's there's nothing better. I know there's still a dying breed, but maybe someday you'll go back and in retirement get the independent pharmacy. Possibly. Absolutely. Those relationships that I feel like patients have with their independent pharmacies are really special. Yes, yes. And so you mentioned um, the oral drug repository program there, and I know you helped start it and is seems to be going strong. So will you tell us about your program? Absolutely. We noticed a gap in care for our cancer patients where patients may not have access to the oral chemotherapies that they need, or they may not have fast enough access to those therapies, while at the same time, we were seeing patients that had a surplus of those exact same medications. We had instances where patients may progress on a therapy, or they may have a toxicity that they don't want to continue, or they might have a dose change. And they were bringing in these bottles of medication, knowing all of the hoops that they had to jump through in order to gain access, the high cost of copays that they had to pay. And they wanted to know, can I give this to some other patient or how do I dispose of this appropriately? So as we saw those two different patient populations, those that needed drug and those that had this surplus, we thought, how can we be part of the solution to bridge the gap between this waste that's occurring you know, in the United States, on an annual basis, $5 billion worth of unexpired drug is discarded of. And we saw an opportunity to collect that and redispense it to those patients who may have a financial hardship. So I love it. $5 billion, I feel like, is an astounding number. And I know it's so hard for you as a pharmacist, when you see all of these bottles coming in, or, or it can be, and you know that it's perfectly good medication, and yet there's nothing that you could do with it. Exactly. <laughs> so what were some of the barriers that you found when you were first trying to start your program? The initial barrier was Ohio law. Okay. Ohio law did not permit us to collect oral chemotherapy medications that were dispensed to a specific patient in a patient-specific packaging. And so we advocated to Ohio legislature to say, hey, this is a barrier to us being able to serve the patients of Ohio who have a financial hardship and a barrier for us to make sure that there's proper disposal of these hazardous medications. We want to be a resource where we can connect the dots between that surplus of medication to patients who are in need. And they were very receptive. It was very positively received. And we started with oncology specifically with the Ohio legislature, knowing the high cost of medications, as well as the frequency in which there's a surplus of medications. So that was the first step. Okay. The next big barrier was really, where do you start? There are a lot of oral chemotherapy medications on the market and to launch a widespread program, we really wanted to have proof of concept first. And so narrowing the list to say, what are we gonna start with was the next big challenge that we faced. And we worked with a lot of experts in the field and assessed what are the most difficult medications for patients to obtain. 
And our medication assistance department was really, really helpful. And these are the medications that still have a high cost for patients and that they're not readily available patient assistance programs for or grant funding available yeah. for. And we coupled that information with what are the medications that clinically we are going to see a surplus of due to dose reductions, changes of therapy, et cetera. And so we ended up with two, capsidabine and temozolomide, were our two medications that we launched the program with initially. Okay. And then how many medications has it grown to? And is it still just oncology? Great question. So we are over 40 oral oncology drugs since we launched. We continue to add additional oral oncology medications as they're FDA approved. That's part of our assessment process now. Does this need to be added to our repository program? And we are in the process of expanding to non-oncology due to additional advocacy uh, to our Ohio legislature. That's awesome. You're you're doing doing great work with the advocacy space. I will say that to get that program approved. And will you talk a little about some of the logistics of the program? So kind of how does it work? Um, and then maybe even things like staffing, who is who is running it, those type of things. The initial collection of the medications is primarily by our hematology oncology clinical pharmacists who are in clinic. They are very quick to advertise the program to patients as they do their medication counseling. And when patients bring surplus medication back to say, how do I dispose of this? They are that liaison from the repository program to the patients to say, we have an opportunity for you. And so they do the initial collection in the majority of cases. And they inspect the medication to make sure that um, it has the correct expiration date, it needs to be within six months, that there's no signs of physical adulteration. Um, we do not accept controlled substances or drugs that have a RIMS component to them and currently don't accept anything that requires cold storage. So they're going through all of that screening criteria, making sure it's on the list of collected medications and doing that initial visual inspection. They also are responsible for having the patient sign to indicate that they've stored the medication appropriately. So there's okay. definitely a level of trust from the patient that they stored the medication appropriately and that the medication is unadulterated, but we do visually inspect it for that as well. And then when we think about the dispensing component, all of those medications are couriered to a central location, which is one of our retail pharmacies on our main campus. It's entered into inventory in our Willow inventory system and goes through the same safety checks from a dispensing standpoint mm -hmm. as any oral chemotherapy would go through. It's a component of our electronic medical record. So from a safety standpoint, we utilize all the same safety checks that we would for any oral oncolytic that we're dispensing. Okay, wonderful. And then it's just, um, I guess, how are you determining which patient may need it? We try to offer the repository to any patient that we've identified a financial hardship that we've exhausted other opportunities for. I will say that the most common scenario that we've seen that we were not expecting is actually bridge therapy. 
And we were opposed to utilizing the repository program for bridge therapy when we started. Our concerns were we wanted to make sure that if we started a patient on a therapy that they were able to continue it. And that's a philosophy that extends far beyond just the, the oral chemo repository program. What we noticed, though, is that oftentimes we may know that a patient is approved for therapy, but there's a delay in the drug actually being delivered to the patient. So maybe we have to go through a medication assistance program that they're approved for, but the prescription needs to be sent to an outside specialty pharmacy, and then that needs to be dispensed and mailed back to the patient. This can be a very time-consuming process. So we've utilized the repository in a lot of those scenarios when we know they're approved, but we want to start sooner than the patient is able to receive. So we've been able to improve time to therapy for many of our patients, whereas otherwise they would have to pay out of pocket to yeah. initiate that therapy sooner. It's a great point, a great program to have to offer them as well. I know that you have positive feedback from patients and I'm sure from staff as well, but will you talk a little about the feedback that you've had so far? This is such a rewarding and feel-good program. You know, there's oftentimes in healthcare, you know that you're doing good, but it doesn't feel as altruistic as this program feels, where you truly feel like you're doing it just for patient care. And patients feel that, and they show that appreciation. The patients who are receiving the medications are so grateful and so kind and appreciative. And what we're seeing on the donation side is even more astounding. Our patients, family members sometimes of deceased patients who really want to see an opportunity for some good to come through the end of their family member's journey with cancer has been by far the most emotional part of this program. People are so happy to give back to the oncology community, and there's this sense of camaraderie with cancer patients that I think is unique to that patient population, and we've just seen this outpouring from our patients of wanting to give back to someone else who is in the same situation that they either are currently are in or have been in. And that has definitely been the most rewarding part of this program. I love that. I didn't even really think about that, but for the family, that would be an opportunity, you know, not, not all is lost that you're continuing to, to put good into the world. So I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And some of our pharmacists who are receiving the donations come back with stories from the family members of just extreme gratitude of that outlet for them to be able to, to give back that medication and, and help another cancer patient. Wonderful. And so I know we have a lot of members who may be interested in starting this in their own centers. I know state laws, as you've discussed, vary widely um, between all of the states, but what are some of the first steps that you would recommend for others who would like to start a program? Number one, research your state laws and see what's possible. There are many, many states that do have laws that permit repository programs with varying levels of what medications you can accept and what the restrictions on those medications are. So the first step would definitely be to consult 
your state laws, work with your board of pharmacy. Ohio Board of Pharmacy was really helpful throughout this process. We worked together to help create some of the rules and regulations associated with the law change. And so make your state board of pharmacy a partner with you in this journey. The Ohio Board of Pharmacy and Ohio State Medical Center did some press releases as well once the law was changed to show um, the collaboration between the health system and the Board of Pharmacy and how we're working together to make sure that we're improving the care of lives in Ohio. So that would be step number one. Step number two would be to really leverage the medication assistance program experts at your organization. They are gonna be really critical in telling you where the greatest need is for your patients and what perhaps medication assistance programs they're having challenges with and where there are barriers to care. The other large group that we worked with were our clinical pharmacists and got their input on what are the patient challenges that you're seeing, where are you seeing delays in therapy and where would these types of programs be the most helpful? So you are not only involved in this wonderful activity at work, but I know in your personal life, you and your husband also have a foundation. So will you talk to us more about that? Yeah, my husband and I decided to start a foundation before we were married. We both grew up with more humble backgrounds, I would say, than um, our current experience in life. My husband's parents are first-generation immigrants from India and also come from a significantly more humble background. And so philosophically in our marriage, we decided that it was really important for us uh, to find an outlet to give back and learned a lot about effective altruism. And we are so blessed in the United States with the resources that we have available from a life standpoint, from a healthcare standpoint. And it was astounding to us, I think, as we dove into this research to learn that you can save a life abroad with $3,000. So we really reflected on, you know, if it was our family member whose life needed to be saved or our child or even a, a friend or a colleague, you know, would we be willing to spend that $3,000 to save a life? And that influenced, I think, our philosophy on giving and altruistic giving and what we wanted to do to give back in the world. And so we started a, a foundation where um, every year we contribute to the foundation and we have a few others that contribute as well. But the goal is just effective altruism and, and making the biggest impact that we can from a, a global standpoint. You know, I, I love all of that, but what are some of the activities specifically, you know, that the foundation is doing or has done? Our work primarily has been um, through a found, uh, another organization called the SIVA Foundation. And the concept of the SIVA Foundation is vision centers. Okay. So we've built vision centers in Guatemala, um, and we built a vision center in um, India, in the specific area of India that my husband's family is oh. from. And, you know, we have such great access uh, to eye care here in the United States. And in other countries where you may not have that same access, losing your vision for something that could easily be fixed is a reality. 
And these patients don't have access to eye screenings, to cataract surgery, and that ability to change their life by giving them vision back so that they can go to work and support their families. And so our two vision centers, we're excited, are up and running and have seen hundreds of, of patients now um, with the goal of, of really just being able to change their life and make sure that they are um, able to do the work that they wanna do and care for their patients without having vision as a concern. Amazing, ama amazing work that you're doing. And if anyone wanted to get involved with your foundation, is there a way to do that? Absolutely. You can find us at Shaw Found, S-H-A-H-F-O-U-N-D, shawfound.org, or feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to discuss effective altruism. Uh, we love working with Giving Well, which is another organization that really focuses on effective altruism. And they have a list every year of charities that meet their expectations for how to best use uh, your dollars to have the greatest impact on patients across the world. So lots of initiatives like malaria nets are proven to be a very effective way um, to save lives. So we've done some work with the malaria um, population as well. Um, but those are ideas and excited to share with anyone who's interested in learning more about effective altruism. Wonderful. Thank you. And we will include the website in our show notes, if that's okay with you and people can access it there. But thank you so much, Julie, for joining us on the podcast. Um, anything else to add about the drug repository program or your, your own foundation? And I'll have one final fun question after that and we'll let you go. I would just say that the repository is an exciting way to give back. It's a relatively easy intervention that I think health systems or community practices across the country can implement to connect those dots between patients who are in need and those patients that have a surplus. And so would encourage you to, um, to consider it if it's an opportunity at your organization. All right. Wonderful. And la last final fun question. We ask all of the guests on the podcast and we are recycling a question from a previous season on this one, but if you could have dinner with anyone living or in history, who would it be? And then what would be on your dinner menu? Hmm. If I could have dinner with anyone living or not, it would be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I think she is just such an icon um, from our lifetime. The things that she saw in her lifetime, the changes that she made, I just would love to talk to her and hear her perspective and, and connect with her. So um, RBG would be my pick for who I would have dinner with. And honestly, it would, I probably wouldn't even be able to eat. I would be so excited and nervous and just in awe of how amazing of a person that she was. Great choice. Great choice. And thank you so much. You're an amazing person as well, it seems. And thank you for the work that you're doing with patients there in Ohio and then all around the world. So we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me and um, appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the PQI podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Julie. You can find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts and on encoda.org. That's N-C-O-D-A dot org. 
You can also find us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. Tune in next week as we welcome Alex Shantiai and Encoda's own Cooper Bailey to discuss industry careers for pharmacists and Encoda's professional student organization.